This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a spectator's daily and I think for probably most of the summer, more than daily podcast. I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson, and we've had several developments when it comes to the Tory leadership race. Later today, the 1922 committee will be met after fresh elections taking place this afternoon, and the rules of the contest will be set. James, before we look at the candidates, can you just let us know what they'll be discussing? Um, Effectively, this is about the threshold. Yeah, and the threshold is crucial to how this contest uh, will look and feel. So... Everyone agrees there should be a threshold because there are some candidates, people who are putting themselves forward, who it's very hard to see. Yeah, and the threshold is crucial to how this contest... Last time around, the threshold was 10. Parliamentary Party is bigger now, and there are more people putting themselves forward. So some people say 20. Other people are talking about 36. Which one of those they go for will have a big impact. I think nearly all the current candidates could probably get to 20, or you might lose one or two, but no more than that. 36, it becomes a much, much higher bar. For example, take Kemi Badenoch, who got the Michael Gove's endorsement last night. I think she could probably get to 20 names. I think 36 names by the close of play tomorrow would be more of a stretch for her. So I think I, mean that, I think it will define kind of what kind of campaign it is. I think we also need to look at the fact that there is a big battle going on right now. Who is going to be the standard bearer of the right. No one has yet emerged with the definitive numbers to do that. Suella Braverman, the Attorney General, got she got out the doors early announcing on Wednesday that she was running while Boris Johnson was, was still Prime Minister. And she is picking up lots of ERG support. She's got Steve Baker's support. She's got David Jones's support, the former Welsh Secretary, and a leading light in the ERG. But Priti Patel wants to run. And her backers say, well, look, Priti Patel's the Home Secretary. Suella Braverman should essentially make way for her. I don't think that is going to happen, at least. you know. And I think Suella Braverman will have the votes to get through the, the first round. Then you've got Kemi Badenoch, who picks up some of those people who are particularly worried about woke issues. You know, she 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 is a, a very popular choice to them. She's kind of, she did the cred report, the question on racial and ethnic disparities. And then you've got Liz Truss, who is trying to run as the kind of big tax cutting figure in the party. And, you know, I think has I think it's fair to say has kind of courted the ERG with the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. So we, we see a, a big battle there. And there is, just as we're recording this, this, this podcast, there is speculation that Jacob Rees-Mogg might throw his hat into the ring, which would add a kind of further complication to this question of who is going to emerge as the torchbearer of the right in this contest. But I'm wondering, James, if it really necessarily matters, because isn't it a strange... We're seeing a strange dance performed here, where anybody who basically wants to keep the cabinet job is running for leader. Secondly, that they for doing it, I mean, I don't think Jacob Rees-Mogg seriously thinks he's going to be elected any more than that random foreign office guy thinks he's going to be made um, leader. What's his name again? Raymond Christie. Right. But um, the thing is, do you, do you think he woke up and think, oh, that's going to be me? Of course not. These guys, in the same way you do in other organisations, you apply for a job you don't think you're going to get just to demonstrate ambition. But then... Isn't that the case, Jim? They'll, they'll just fold. Like, take, um, like, Kemi Badenoch, for example. She may fold into Suella Braverman, or Suella Braverman may fold into her, because they're, broadly speaking, a very similar proposition. Um, so you would, very quickly, because it, it, it's like one of these silly little card games, and what, what, one, one player gets knocked out, the other player keeps their cards. So you would, inevitably, in the process, would you not just get people and candidates folding behind one position, where you would end up 
with now I'm interested by the way you obviously don't include Rishi Sunak in the Tory right would, would you just say we say would you say the left or the centre or what but, but anyway suffice to say that the, the, under your analysis there's going to be a challenger from the right but I don't see why even if there's like five or six candidates from the right now we won't end up with one because all the rest will get knocked out I think you shouldn't always assume that people always fold in behind the candidate who's closest to them ideologically. Sometimes people think that they are more valuable endorsing someone slightly different. You saw the, the joint tickets attempts yesterday with Jeremy Hunt and Esther McVeigh and Tom Tugendhat and Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Right, but they don't take the voters necessarily with them. No, no, that's no not, not, not necessarily. But I also think that there are, this is the Tory right, there are faction upon faction, there are distinction upon distinction about what kind of right are you, right? So, so for example, I think Kenny Badnock is more exercised Sorry, uh, is more exercised by critical race theory, trans issues than she is about the Northern Ireland Protocol, for example. While I think Suella Brotherman is probably slightly the other way round, and that she probably places more emphasis on Brexit and ECHR related issues than that. I think Richard Dunak is a very interesting point because here he is, he is a Brexiteer and a fiscal conservative. And I think that, you know, but I think he you, you wouldn't place him on the right in, I don't in your think, I, language. I don't think he is running as a factional candidate. But how many of them would say they are running as a factional candidate? Well, no, some of them, some of them, if you look at where his, look, I've known him for years, right? And I think, so I should qualify it with that. But I think if you look at where his support is coming from, it doesn't all come from one part of the party. So, for example, Mark Harper from the COVID recovery group is backing him is one of his big backers but he's also got you know Laura Trott who was a special advisor in the Cameron administration so you know it depends where you want you know which, which how you want to slice the onion but I think if you look at his backers it's partly because he's got the most backers at the moment but you know, they don't all come from one camp within the party. Fraser if we are looking at Rishi Sunak so at the time of recording he has now hit 36 MPs backing him even in the most extreme scenario we're talking about the 22 committee which is uh, raising the the threshold to 10%, that's 36 MPs, he has now made it to the next round. And I think there is a growing consensus that it, amongst MPs that he is very likely to be one of the two in the final two. So do you think we're heading to a potential, obviously surprises can happen, a potential summer leadership campaign where it's, you know, someone saying cut taxes now, that seems to be nearly every other candidate's pitch, and Rishi Zunik saying don't do that right now? Yes, I think... Uh, I- something like 9 out of 10 of these candidates or 10 out of 11 are saying, um, running against Rishi Sunak um, not just as a candidate but also with his policies, saying we need to cut taxes now, we can't afford these taxes they're they're very very disturbed by Rishi Sunak's decision to break the manifesto pledge and increase national insurance and most of them would reverse that instantly. So it's not hard to say that whoever gets through will be running on a tax cutting pledge leaving Rishi Sunak into a rather difficult position where he will be saying look it's not fiscally responsible to cut taxes. So he will be offering blood, sweat, toil and tears. In other words, he's saying, look, we don't have the fiscal attitude to cut taxes. I'm not sure how well that would go down amongst members who would, they would argue that, um, you know, whether it's fiscally ideal or not, the Conservative Party made a solemn promise in the manifesto that it should keep. So yes, whoever it will be challenging, if, if Rishi Sunak does get to the final two, as it seems right now, although this is a you know, in this great sort of uh, wacky races, you never know which one of them is going to hit a tree as they um, fly through the sky here. Now, typically what the Tories do is they will choose a candidate likely to win amongst the members, but they will not send against him 
another candidate who's likely to win amongst the members. For example, Liz Truss and Kemi Badenich, right? The two of them, they might just win. Liz Truss has got a big popular membership support. We can see that at Tory party conference. Every time she gives a fringe conference, there's queues out the door of these members who feel revved up by her. And the same thing is true with, with Bednach. I mean, she has been the sort of momentum candidate here. She wasn't expected to run, then she did. Then the bookmakers had her as eighth. Now she's fourth. Now she's got Michael Gove's backing. You know, she's a little bit unpredictable. You could argue, um, as, as James, as James ha- has done, look, she's got no experience. She's not really a, c- a credible candidate for prime ministership. Whereas somebody like this trusts as a great, uh, as a holder of a great office of state, she's a much more credible candidate. I think either this trusts or, or Kimi Bailenich. I, I would put them as unpredictable. As opposed to Penny Mordaunt, I'd say she would be, if she got to the final two, she would probably probably fail. But if you look at previous leadership elections, the Tory MPs have tended to choose the second, the other candidate, not because they're good, but because they're kind of not. Like a Jeremy Hunt was always going to lose against Boris, always. So you would sometimes get a situation where, say, the Boris Johnson supporters would end up voting for um, for Jeremy Hunt rather than Sajid Javid because they thought that, Sa- that Jeremy Hunt was a better opponent for him. So you might get some of that. So this is, you know, the most duplicitous electorate in the world. You can never tell what they're thinking. And I mean, James talks about where the MPs are ideologically. On top of that, you've got to place job offers. Who's been offered what job by whom? Who, out of the early endorsements, has been said, look, you'll be my cabinet, you'll be minister of my government. And that's not to do with ideology. That's to do with people being left out in the cold a bit too long and wanting to come in to the warm. So incredibly difficult to predict. But I would not be as bold as to say of the two best candidates are going to go through to the membership. Normally, the Tory MPs will know who they cannot stop going to the membership, but they will also know who they don't particularly want. So I imagine, I could have this wrong, but Liz Truss is way more popular amongst Tory party members than she is amongst Tory party MPs. So there could be a bit of a stop Liz operation. And let's just talk briefly about Penny Morden, James, because she is currently number two when it comes to MP support that's publicly out there. But she has faced um, a backlash and some blue and blue um, from Suella Braveman. Yeah, so Penny Morden has the second highest number of public declarations, or, or did as we began to record this podcast. It's changing by the minute. And the view among the people who know the numbers very well is that she has quite a lot more left in the tank. She's got lots more people to come out in her favour. But... Jessica, can you talk us through a little bit of that? I mean, why has she got so many people? I think she's very personable. I think she has been working on this for quite some time in terms of building up support yeah. and network of support in the past. I know, so when she I, launched yesterday, I went to that Who Is to see that when her website was registered, PM for PM, it was registered in May 2019, the last leadership election. So she's had three years to work on this and she's written a book. But I was still quite struck by somebody who wasn't exactly a high-profile name under the Boris Johnson government, now emerges... And I think this concept she has of servant leadership, right, you know, not all been about her. It, it's 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 very deliberate that her face never appears in the video, just her voice at the end. I mean, that is popular with MPs who feel that they've had, you know, who are kind of slightly fed up with these high-profile, high-charisma... They were quite like someone who, who is more first among equals rather than some kind of quasi-presidential style figure. So I think, I think that goes down. 
very well. Right, so, so, so the many MPs who think that under Boris it was too presidential, we need to shift back to cabinet government, collective. So they vote for Penny Morden not because they're hugely enthusiastic about her, but because she offers a style, a return to a style of government, which they think would be better. But I think she also ticks bunch boxes. She sits for Portsmouth, which is a, it is obviously not a Red Bull seat, it's a seat in southern England, but it bears some similarities to those Red Bull seats, you know, former industrial base. And... She's got, you know, service background, which as Katie wrote about in the in the magazine, is, is always a plus with Tories. And, you know, she's a working class woman and people think that that would be, you know, would discombobulate Labour and would be hard for them to attack. And now, as Katie wrote yesterday, it's actually the woman question, which is, is, is an issue for her, which is she said at the dispatch box, which went, I think, I think it is fair to say, further than government policy. She went out of her way to say that trans women are women and trans men are men. And this is seen by many in the Tory party as kind of denying biology. And there's a particular row because there was a piece of legislation being introduced to allow Suella Braverman, who is also running for leader, to stay as Attorney General after she had a baby and take maternity leave. And that legislation, Katie will correct me I go wrong here, referred to pregnant people rather than pregnant women. The House of Lords said, well, hang on a second, you know, only women can get pregnant and have babies and so it got changed back and that was then it was in, in accepting that amendment from the lords that penny morden said uh, those words at the dispatch box and suella rodman wrote a piece yesterday which without mentioning penny morden by name made it quite clear that she held penny morden responsible for the fact that the legislation had initially uh, intended to kind of write women out of the picture and instead talk about pregnant people and suella rodman is effectively saying that penny morden was lying I think she's effectively implying, without specifically naming, that some people need to look at their versions of events and uh, perhaps be more honest. So I think it is just an example of how this contest is getting pretty vicious already in the early stages and probably going to go further. But I wonder if this week's going to be the gloves-off week then, and if so, will any Tory be left standing? Because these Tories can be vicious when they go I, I think that because of a compressed nature of the timetable and getting it down to two candidates by the time Parliament breaks up for the summer, I think July the 21st, this is going to be the most demolition derby part of the contest, you know. I suspect that the final two, the final two, I I could well be proved wrong, I suspect the final two might be a more kind of genteel contest, because often what happens is that, you know, because they end up, you know, almost like a kind of travelling, you know, travelling comics, you know, they end up doing the same act in different venues night after night. There often often forms a kind of bond between the final two candidates. They did between David Davis and David Cameron, for example, who in 2005, you know, didn't begin that contest particularly liking each other, but just the sheer amount of time they spent in each other's company waiting to go on stage and the like, they actually kind of learned to get on with each other quite well. Uh, And that dynamic might well reassert itself in the final two. But I think that this, I think this, this bit of a contest will be particularly punchy. I suppose we're hearing, aren't we, that Rishi Sunak's being accused of all sorts of things, about having Dominic Cummings secretly on his side. Um, Nadim Zahawi says he's being smeared because of his finances, that he says he's just not he's not under investigation, or at least doesn't know he is. I haven't heard anything coming against Kemi Badenich yet, although you might mention that her ancestor, the Wolf of Badenich, um, burned down Elgin Cathedral. Terrible. What? Well, you just added to it then, Fraser. You've got your own dossier going. I have going. to say, those of us in that neck of the woods still, you know, the, the Wolf of Badenoch is a notorious figure. And it's funny to think there's another Badenoch. They always reassert themselves as Badenochs. Yeah, I think with in these... strange forms. I think with the fresher-faced candidates, that's clearly, in, a, in theory, there's likely to be less dirt to throw around and probably a bit less bitterness. But then it gets back to James's point, which is, are they really ready to be Prime Minister? And to discuss that, I'm sure we'll be back later tonight once we know the rules and back tomorrow. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James, and thank you for listening.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee House Shots. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And to keep up to date with the world of Westminster, sign up for Unrivaled Insight and Analysis with Isabel Hardman's Evening Blend newsletter, delivered to your inbox every weekday evening. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash evening hyphen blend.